really excited to introduce our next panel. We'll be talking about accessible air travel and flying dogs. So we'll be talking about what's going on at Department of Transportation and the Federal Aviation Administration. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our four representatives from uh, DOT, which we're really fortunate to have. So we have LaVon Chapman, the Chief Aviation Civil Rights Compliance Branch from the Chief Aviation Compliance Branch from Department of Transportation. We've got Alex Tade. Did I say it right? Yes. Yay. Uh, the Supervisory a Analyst from U.S. Department of Transportation. And two senior council members, uh, Rob Gorman and Megan Johnson. Um, we're really excited to have them here today. They work very well with the American Council of Line. I know anytime I've had any questions for DOT or the FAA, they're just an email away. So we really appreciate the work you guys are constantly doing with us. And we're really excited to hear what you guys have to say. I know one of the big topics that's going to come up today is the NPRM for service animals on airplanes, and they graciously brought their two senior counsel to talk about that issue as well. Um, so without further ado, we're going to start uh, with LaVon, I'm assuming, and we'll go down our four-person panel. Thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Claire. Um, Alex and I have been coming by and uh, speaking to uh, ACB for a number of years now, and uh, a testament to our long friendship, Claire, is that um, you called me by my old title. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> I, um, for about a year now, I've been one of uh, two deputy assistant general counsels in the office. I still have as part of my portfolio uh, civil rights and uh, in particular um, access, uh, Air Carrier Access Act uh, related issues, uh, which is certainly a point of uh, passion for me and everybody else that's up here um, with me. Um, as Claire noted, I'm here with uh, Alex Tade. He has uh, for about a year now too, assumed a new title, uh, Director of uh, Civil Rights Advocacy. Um, and we've got uh, our two uh, service animal experts in the office. They do the lion's share of uh, the service animal work as it relates to our enforcement priorities uh, final statement and uh, the service animals uh, ANPRM and NPRM and um, likely, of course, uh, final rule uh, this year as well. So we've got Rob Gorman and uh, Megan Johnson who are both both uh, uh, valuable um, senior attorneys in our office. Um, I've been with the department for about 15 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. And uh, currently in this office uh, since uh, 2007. Um, as I noted uh, just a moment ago, Alex and I have been coming to this event for I, I don't even know how long anymore, uh, but we always enjoy it and uh, look forward to your questions and interacting with, uh, with this group. Um, I've, I've always enjoyed um, working with your leadership. Your leadership is top-notch. Um, they are zealous advocates and uh, very effective at what they do. Um, and uh, we've enjoyed, uh, as a result of uh, their advocacy, uh, uh, an excellent relationship that um, um, I, I really want us to uh, continue to, uh, to have as we work toward our shared goals of uh, trying to make uh, the air transportation system uh, more accessible to everybody. Um, just as a reminder about who we are as an office, um, we are the Office of Aviation Enforcement and Proceedings. 
I like to think of us as a very slim other side of the coin to the FAA, where the FAA has safety authority, we have uh, economic authority. So um, we deal with uh, consumer protection related issues uh, that would of course include uh, civil rights issues and Air Carrier Access Act issues, which is a uh, component of that. Um, currently we're about 30 people, I believe, in the office. Roughly half of the folks are attorneys who are responsible for uh, enforcement, for rulemaking, and for outreach activities. Uh, the other half of the office is uh, comprised mostly of transportation in industry analysts who um, serve as the main face of the office. They do the lion's share of the interaction with members of the public and uh, airlines. Uh, they provide um, information to members of the public uh, through various means, telephone, uh, email, um, and uh, they in assist uh, consumers with uh, investigating uh, complaints and assist our office with uh, investigations as well uh, uh, against their airlines. Um, I'll turn it over to Alex in a bit to talk in greater detail about uh, how we handle complaints, but I did want to... Uh, first make just a brief mention, then get out of the way and let you listen to what you really hear for um, service animals, um, but mention really briefly about some of the things we're working on. Um, most of you, if not all of you, are likely familiar with the uh, FAA Reauthorization Act of uh, 2018. Um, that piece of legislation um, provided um, a great deal of uh, action items for our office. Uh, there were more than um, 30 uh, provisions in there that required our office or require our office to uh, conduct such things as um, advisory committees, uh, reports, studies. Um, Claire, of course, is on our Air Carrier Access Act advisory committee. Uh, we're very pleased uh, to, to have her as part of that. Um, we put out a notice last week uh, announcing the first meeting, uh, which will occur uh, March 10th through the 11th of the advisory committee. Uh, just by way of background, quickly, uh, Section 439 of the FAA Reauthorization Act required us to stand up this committee. Uh, it consists of representatives of passengers with disabilities, airlines, airports, and others, and is tasked with identifying uh, and assessing, among other things, the disability-related access barriers that are encountered by individuals with disabilities. Uh, the first meeting will be held in Washington, D.C. at um, the Washington Plaza Hotel. Uh, it is open to the public. And um, there's a lot of work that's been poured into it so far, and we're looking, uh, very much looking forward to a very productive uh, and informative meeting. Um, I'll touch briefly on uh, just some of the rulemaking activity that we've done. Uh, Megan and Rob have been um, really outstanding on these, in these efforts. They are the primary uh, drafters of, uh, of these rulemakings. Uh, the first uh, that I'll mention is um, an NPRM on accessible laboratories on single-aisle uh, aircraft. Uh, that's a notice of proposed rulemaking, um, which proposes um, improvements um, that would uh, be part of uh, the interior of existing laboratories and additional services that airlines would uh, provide with respect to laboratory access. It also includes training requirements and, and proposes uh, improvements to the onboard uh, wheelchair. Uh, that comment period um, closes uh, very soon. It's fast approaching. Uh, closes next week on March 2nd. Um, following that, we expect to issue soon a advance notice of proposed rulemaking that would solicit comment and gather updated information on the costs and benefits of requiring airlines to make lavatories on new single-aisle aircraft 
large enough uh, that equivalent to that currently find on, found on Twin Isle aircraft um, to permit pa a passenger with a disability um, with the help of an assistant if necessary to approach, enter, and maneuver within the aircraft lavatory as necessary to use all the lavatory uh, facilities and leave by means of the aircraft's uh, onboard wheelchair. Finally, um, we will talk um, in greater detail about uh, a NPRM on service animals. Um, the NPRM proposes um, to amend the definition of a service animal um, in air transportation and include safeguards to ensure safety and reduce the likelihood that passengers wishing to travel with their pets on aircraft will be able, will be able to falsely claim that their pets are service animals. Uh, the comment period on this rulemaking closes on April 6th, and um, I did want to note that um, because this is a open rulemaking, um, we can talk about what's already public, what's already in the NPRM, and that's what we intend to do. To the extent that uh, you have separate comments that you would like to offer for the department's consideration, we kindly ask that you please uh, post those to the docket, um, which is uh, where we will look to uh, review uh, all of the comments that we receive um, in considering um, next steps going forward with respect to uh, service animals uh, and, and, and rulemaking with regard to that. So um, uh, with that, I will turn it over to uh, Alex Tayday, and he'll talk about complaint handling and types of complaints we receive. All right. Thank you, LeVon. Sorry about that. As, as LeVon mentioned earlier, I've also received a new title. I'm now the Director of Civil Rights Advocacy. Um, while the title has changed, my duties still fundamentally remain the same. I oversee our transportation industry analysts in handling of our civil rights-related complaints, including our disability complaints and uh, alleged violations of Part 382 in the Air Carrier Access Act. Um, on general, we get about anywhere between 1,200 to 1,500 complaints a month, um, but that's um, in all categories, refunds, flight delays, as well as our civil rights complaints. Our disability complaints roughly are about 8% of those on a monthly basis. Um, we strive to process these as quickly as we can. Um, we do have a little setbacks like last year when we had the um, government shutdown, you know, the 35-day thing. While the government was shut down, we were still receiving complaints. Um, we, we came back to about 1,200 complaints um, that came in during those, those five weeks, and our staff did a very good job processing those, and we had all those processed and, and under investigation within two-week time frame. Um, as I mentioned before, while we do have complaints along the whole range, I deal mainly with the civil rights complaints. And from those, we are mandated to investigate each and every one that we receive. And we do our, our, our diligence, we work well with, with Rob and Megan and the other attorneys of our staff to process those as quick as we can and get resolutions as, as much as we can. I know everybody is very interested in service animal complaints, so before I turn it over to Rob, um, we do keep track of kind of the top five complaint areas that we receive. Um, their failure to provide um, timely wheel wheelchair assistance, failure to provide timely other assistance, um, seating accommodations on aircraft, 
um, damage or delay to assistive devices, as well as service animals. Um, our service animal category has always been down to the you know number three or number four of the most complaints that we received. But for uh, 2019, um, it did creep up and actually moved into the number two slot. And <laughs> um, since, since I started keeping the, the, these records from 2008, it is actually the highest number of service animal complaints we've received in a given calendar year. Thank you, Alex, and uh, good morning. I'm going to give myself a total of six minutes uh, to talk so that we can uh, also have time both for Megan's presentation uh, and for uh, questions that you have. Uh, so as uh, LaVon had mentioned, our office has both an enforcement component and a rulemaking component. I'm going to talk right now about the enforcement component because uh, we still are enforcing the current uh, existing service animal rule. And until that rule is amended through a final rule, the existing rule will, of course, remain in effect. So we are in the process of amending the rule, but until that rule, new rule becomes final, the old rule remains. Uh, so because of that, um, we have had a number of questions that have come up over the past couple of years about the scope of the existing rule, how it should be enforced, how it should be interpreted, and uh, these issues were particularly um, coming to the forefront in light of the fact that in recent years a number of airlines have taken uh, steps on their own to impose certain types of restrictions on the carriage of service animals, uh, taking lots of different actions on a lot of different bases. And the question became, questions came into our office in terms of are these things uh, that airlines are doing consistent with the uh, current rule and how does the department enforce and interpret the rule in, uh, these ver in various ways. So because of that, we issued at first a advanced uh, statement of enforcement priorities in May of 2018 where we indicated our uh, proposal for what we considered to be the proper interpretation of the existing rule and opened it up for public comment. After receiving about 100 comments, mostly from advocacy organizations and airlines, in August 2019, we issued a final statement of enforcement priorities uh, regarding service animals. That final statement is meant to do two things. One is to let the public know about the department's interpretation of the existing rule. So in that sense, it's guidance in terms of what we believe the current rule says and what it means. Second, it's a statement of our enforcement priorities indicating that as an office with naturally uh, some limitation on our resources that we are going to prioritize certain types of uh, violations and less, of a, uh, less, uh, less uh, priority uh, on others. So in that light, we then issued um, a statement that included about uh, 10 different statements about various aspects of the existing rule. Uh, the main, I'll just cover a couple of highlights here. Um, the first one being species limitations. As I'm sure you know, uh, the Air Carrier <laughs> Access Act does allow for a broader variety of species of animals to be transported on board aircraft as service animals. That is written into the rule, and until that rule is changed, 
it can't be changed. So we did indicate that, of course, um, there is a, remains a broad variety of species that uh, can be accepted and must be accepted for transport as service animals, but we said that uh, we are going to ensure our priority, as an, as an enforcement office, we're going to focus our efforts on ensuring that dogs, cats, and miniature horses are accepted for transport. What that means is that if an airline refuses to accept other species, they will be in violation, such as rabbits, for example, uh, they will be in violation of our rule, but as an enforcement matter, we are going to focus our efforts on ensuring that dogs, cats, and miniature horses are accepted for transport. People always ask about miniature horses. Uh, there is a reason that they are prioritized, but in practice, they are almost never brought on board aircraft. Uh, and another big question that has come up has to do with um, the breed breeds of dogs. Um, certain airlines have uh, imposed restrictions on breeds such as pit bulls. We did indicate that our current rule uh, prohibits restrictions based on breed. So, uh, and that is because uh, there is there is no there is no uh, we view a limitation based exclusively on breed to be not allowed under the service animal uh, regulation. In part because it's inconsistent with the mandate that dogs as a species be accepted for transport. So that is uh, another one that has taken uh, quite a lot of, gotten a lot of uh, press. Um, the, the next one that is probably of greatest um, interest has to do with documentation requirements. Uh, airlines have from time to time imposed some of their own uh, documentation requirements when flying on an aircraft. Things like asking for veterinary forms, asking for behavior attestations, training forms, things like that. Our rule is silent about whether airlines can uh, require those sorts of things or not. Our rule doesn't say anything one way or another about any of those types of forms. What the rule does say is that airlines are allowed to determine whether any animal poses a direct threat to the safety of individuals in the cabin. But the rule does not indicate how airlines can, may, or must uh, make that assessment. As such, we have said that uh, we are not going to take enforcement action against airlines for asking users of any type of service animal uh, to present documentation related to vaccination training or behavior as long as it's reasonable to believe that the documentation would assist the airline in, in making a determination as to whether the animal poses a direct threat to the health or safety of others. This is an issue that we are continuing to monitor and uh, one that we are monitoring closely. Uh, the enforcement statement does cover a number of other issues such as containment of an animal on board an aircraft, uh, the number of animals that uh, must be transported of, uh, as service animals. We indicated that we would only take action, that we would not take action if airlines limit the number of emotional support animals to one, uh, even though there's no um, specific number limits anywhere in our rule. Uh, and the final enforcement statement does cover a, a broad number of other categories. But since my time is up and those are the highlights, uh, I will at this point uh, pass the baton to Megan to talk about the amendments to the rule. 
proposed amendments to the rule, and then we'll have some time for questions. Thank you. Thank you again for having us. Um, I'm going to start off talking a little bit about um, the proposals that we made to the proposals that we made to the service animal rule. Um, as you all are probably aware, we currently consider a service animal to be any animal that is individually trained or able to provide assistance to a qualified person with a disability or any animal shown by documentation to be necessary for the emotional well-being of a passenger. Under the proposed, NPR, under the proposed rule, um, we have um, proposed a definition of a service animal to be a service animal would be defined as a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a qualified individual with a disability, including a physical, sensory, psychiatric, intellectual, or other mental disability. Now, I know you guys are probably familiar with that definition in large part. It's very, very similar to the, the ADA definition of a service animal under the Department of Justice's rule. Um, the difference, though, with our rule and the ADA version of the rule is that the word qualified disability is in our rule, which is consistent with our language in our current Part 382, where we discuss qualified individual with a disability. So that's largely the only change. Um, also in the NPRM, I think the most popular aspect of the NPRM is our treatment of emotional support animals. We are now proposing that airlines would no longer be required to recognize emotional support animals as service animals. <laughs> this is just a proposal. So <laughs> um, uh, we are eagerly awaiting um, to see the public's uh, opinion on uh, this proposal. And um, I'll, I'll get into the number of comments that we have received thus far at the end of uh, my summary. But um, that probably, as I said, is uh, the, the, the most popular provision that I anticipate that we'll receive the most comments about. Um, the third um, area that uh, we discussed in our rule that I think also is pretty popular. We've received comments about this area uh, for years, going back um, at least since we, prior, prior to our 2008, our large 2008 amendment to Part 382. Um, but it's the fact that, or our proposal that psychiatric service animals would be treated the same as other service animals that are individually trained to do work or perform a task for the benefit of an individual with a disability. So as you guys probably know, under the current rule, um, individuals traveling with both emotional support animals and psychiatric service animals um, have to provide, or airlines can require them to provide 48 hours advance notice prior to travel and check in one hour before the check-in time. But for psychiatric service animals under the proposed rule, that would no longer be the case. They would be treated um, individuals with traveling with psychiatric service animals would be treated um, the same as all other service animal users. So that's a big deal. Um, with respect to species, as Rob mentioned, our current rule has a very broad species requirement. And our, under the proposal, airlines would be permitted to limit service animals to dogs only. So that's also another major change. With respect to forms, um, Rob also talked about um, how our current rule is largely silent on a lot of the new forms that airlines have started to implement under their new service animal policies. 
and under our proposed rule, airlines would be permitted to require passengers traveling with the service animal to provide a completed U.S. Department of Transportation service animal air transportation health form, and they would also be permitted to require passengers to provide a U.S. Department of Transportation service animal transportation behavior and training attestation form. That's a large, a long title for two forms, but those are the, um, the two forms that every um, individual with the, traveling with the service animal would, uh, airlines would be required to, um, or uh, permitted to allow them to, we permit airlines to require those forms from individuals traveling with service animals. Also, on flights eight hours or longer, Airlines can also require passengers traveling with service animals to complete a U.S. Department of Transportation service animal relief attestation form. So um, these forms are pretty unique, and this is the first time the department has done anything like this. They're basically U.S. Department of Transportation forms that we know that we've received a lot of input that, and we discussed this in the NPRM, that there are a lot of different forms out there right now, given the service animal policies, and in order to bring some uniformity to the, to the process the department is proposing to allow airlines to require these forms and these forms only. With respect to the number of service animals that airlines are permitted, um, or that airlines can limit. Um, airlines would be permitted to limit the number of service animals to two passengers traveling with a single individual with a disability. Large service animals. To two. Two animals. Oh, I said two people. I'm sorry, two animals. Let me repeat that. <laughs> airlines would be permitted to limit the number of service am animals traveling with a single passenger with the, single, with the disability to two service animals. Two service animals, I apologize, sorry about that. Um, airlines would also be required to, um, would be permitted to require a service animal to fit on the handler's lap or within the handler's foot space on the aircraft. And with respect to control, again, uh, Rob mentioned some of um, what our current requirements are. Uh, airlines would be permitted to require that a service animal be harnessed, leashed, tethered, or otherwise under the control of its handler. And those or that proposal is, again, similar to what I'm sure you guys have seen in the uh, DOJ version of the ADA rule. Service animal breed or type. Airlines would continue to be, uh, would continue, airlines could continue to prohibit, or airlines would be prohibited from, would, from refusing to transport a service animal based solely on breed or generalized physical type as distinct from an individual assessment of the animal's behavior or health. Um, we understand that there might be concerns about um, that certain breeds might be dangerous or the type of animal um, might be dangerous because of its jaws or the size of the animal and the department is again encouraging comments if, in order to suss out those concerns. And finally, with respect to check-in requirements, airlines may require a passenger, well we propose that airlines be, um, may require a passenger with a disability traveling with the service animal to check in at the airport one hour before the check-in time for the general public. Um, but if an airline does this, um, an airline must have a person um, 
at the airport that would assist that individual prior to prior to the um, time or would assist that individual um, to promptly assist the individual with the check-in process. So those are the major proposals in the notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, at this time to date, we've received approximately 10,400 comments on this on these proposals. So um, this is pretty popular. I think when we issued the notice or the advanced notice of proposed rulemaking in May of 2018, we received a total of 4,000, a little over 4,000 comments. And so um, us, for us to receive um, over 10,000 comments is pretty remarkable at this point. The comment period, as LaVon said, is um, open until April 6th of this year. So we are eagerly awaiting all of the comments that you guys have on the rule. Um, again, there are some very uh, popular provisions that we, and we are looking forward to your comments. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're running low on time, unfortunately, so I think we can take one question from the audience. And then I'm sure if it's okay with our uh, DOT guests, they can take questions um, off to the side. But unfortunately, we are running low on time. Um, hi, this is Vicki Prien. I, I'm curious. Um, many European countries have passports for specific um, service animals. Have uh, have you all ever considered doing that? Because that would simplify a lot of things. In the NPRM, we, we do not um, discuss or consider uh, passports for animals, but we do talk a bit about documentation and the ease of uh, availability of fraudulent documentation and proliferation of it that's out there. So to the extent that you... Um, are proposing to um, comment for the department's consideration passports similar to um, uh, what uh, European countries may be doing that would be something that we would like to see in a comment unfortunately you guys we are gonna have to move on we just have a lot packed into our schedule but very brief question I'm coming towards the back penny Thank you, I will be quick. Uh, I just want you to know that Guide Dog Users Incorporated, our comments should be arriving at your docket today. Um, and I wanna urge all of our members to submit comments as well. I'm wondering once the deadline passes on April 6th, can you anticipate how long it will be before the um, new rules are implemented and improved, approved? We haven't put a schedule on. Um, I don't have a date yet, um, but what I can tell you is that um, service animals um, is a high priority for the department. Um, so Megan up here has got her work cut out for her. Uh, <laughs> if we're at 10,000 comments and we still have uh, a month to go, um, there'll be a lot to read. Um, but what we're planning to do is... Um, uh, try to utilize our resources as best as possible to um, review and consider all of the comments that we get as quickly as we can. Oh, um, after reviewing the comments, that puts us in a position to uh, discuss uh, internally um, up the chain um, what um, comments we received and what proposals we may want to move forward with uh, in a final rule. 
Thank you very much. We appreciate it. You're very we're welcome. Thank you for the question. Excited about your harmonizing the ADA definition with the FAA definition. Great. Uh, we're thank not thrilled with all of them, but we're very uh, grateful to you. Great. Thank you. thank you so much, Department of Transportation. We're so appreciative. Um, we're happy when you come every year. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump into our next presentation if the speakers can come up while the next speakers are coming up. Again, we encourage all ACB members to submit comments for the notice to propose rulemaking. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to contact Clark or myself. We'd be happy to send you out some information. And if you have any difficulty submitting your comments, call the office. We will help you submit them. We don't want that to be a barrier to you submitting your comments.